Hola, this is Lorena Junco Margain, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. Today on On My Way, Lorena talks with Carolyn Schwartz, CEO of the Ronald McDonald House of Central Texas. Carolyn shares the story of her son's near-death illness that inspired her to pursue a career in the health industry, a path focused on helping to heal others and save families from the worst fate a parent can imagine for their child. She gives us the inside scoop on how the Ronald McDonald House serves sick children and their families and what each of us can do to support the organization's future. Now to today's episode. Hello, Carolyn. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm 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 excited too. I'm I'm nervous and excited. Yes, me too. Every time uh, I never imagined I would be doing this, but I saw the need, and um, I saw the power that there is behind speaking up. And I'm just trying to amplify all the many stories that need to be heard, and how we all have a story behind us. I actually say we all have a book in us. And uh, that being my case, as you know, on the way to Casa Lotus has been a very healing journey in where all my journaling, I just wove it and it became a book. So first of all, if you could introduce yourself, give us a little bit about your background and then are you married? Do you have kids? And just a very basic one, basic introduction. Very good. So my name is Carolyn Schwartz, and um, I am CEO currently of Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Texas. I've lived in Austin for nearly 20 years, and I am married to a unicorn. They call him a unicorn because he's a native Austinite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have two children. We have our son is 17 and our daughter is 15. So uh, I've lived on the East Coast, the West Coast, and now I like to say I live on the Third Coast and I never want to leave. I love it. A common theme with all our guests has been once you come to Austin, you never leave Austin. So we're very blessed to be in a city that has so much growth. I know that in your practice, you've seen tremendous growth and that you're very actively fundraising for, for future projects. But be before we get into that detail, I'm always interested in the story behind the story. So can you tell me how is it that you started being in the health industry or what brought you there? For sure. Um, so I'm a social worker by training, and I uh, had been working in healthcare, helping kids get on CHIP and Children's Medicaid, which are state-sponsored health insurance programs. And then here in Austin, there was a woman named Robin Shivers, and she had this dream to make sure that musicians got access to healthcare. Uh, she knew that the music industry was a billion-dollar industry here in Austin, and yet our musicians were struggling to make ends meet. And so I got connected with her back in 2005, and together we founded a nonprofit called Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. Um, so I knew how to run programs and work in the healthcare system with the big healthcare uh, leaders in our community, and she was great at fundraising. So together we made this amazing team. Um, and at that time, I was a young mom. I had a nine-month-old son, and um, a year later, my daughter came. So my kids are two years apart. And fast forward to my son's fifth birthday and my daughter's third birthday. Their, their birthdays are nine days apart, oh, so we wow. always do their well checks at the same time. And that year, we headed into the doctor's appointment, and my mom had said, you need to check and see if— you know, something's going on. You, ha I have celiac, uh, mm -hmm. which is gluten intolerance. And they, uh, my mom was like, something, he's skinny, what's wrong? And I said, oh, no, he's just... And he's got health, maybe. Yeah, she wasn't sure. And I just thought, because my husband's quite tall and I am not, I thought, oh, he's, he's growing taller and losing his baby fat. So we got to the doctor's appointment. And sure enough, the doctor said, what's wrong with him? And I said, well, I think he's getting thinning out. He's getting taller. And he said, no... We do want to take some urine. We want to get some blood. We're going to run some tests. And I have to say those were 20 of the most nervous minutes of my life. Um, well, I thought at the time they were my most nervous 20 minutes. It turned out to be worse. Um, and then he came back and said, uh, you need to head straight to Dell Children's Medical Center because we think your son has diabetes. And this was a shock, type 1 diabetes, which 
I was working with musicians, older musicians. I knew a lot about type 2 diabetes in the world so I was living in. So what is the difference? Can you tell our listeners what the two differences are? Absolutely. So type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disorder. And what happens is the body attacks itself. Like maybe you had a virus and then the virus kind of goes haywire and it attacks the pancreas. And it can be any stage in life. Correct. It used to be called uh, juvenile diabetes because they thought it only appeared in children. But now they're finding uh, soldiers coming back from combat and uh, a variety of people at all kinds of ages. And so the, the new term is type 1 diabetes. That's kind of the the lingo that, that is being used today. But basically, my son's body attacked his pancreas and killed his pancreas. So it does not produce insulin. And so type 1 diabetics have to constantly have insulin from an external source. Um, right now, we're very lucky. There's a lot of technology, and he has an insulin pump. And then type 2 diabetes is uh, something where the pancreas gets strained maybe because of diet or different things going on in one's metabolism. Um, and so the, the pancreas isn't producing as much insulin as it needs. It can still produce some, whereas type 1 diabetics, their bodies don't produce any insulin. And does that run in your family? It's like a genetic thing? Or it no? doesn't. And I think that was that was that moment. I mean, so the doctor said, uh, you need to go straight to the hospital. I had my three-year-old with me. Luckily, my husband was with me at this well check appointment, and we had two vehicles, so we divided and conquered. And I took my daughter to get settled with a friend. I went rushing. It took me about two hours to get wow. to the emergency room. I got there, and it was like a scene out of the TV show ER. He was attached to all kinds of cords and bells and whistles and noises and Right when I walked into the room, the doctor basically pushed me aside and with the gurney and said, get out of the way, mom, we're headed to the ICU. And our son crashed in diabetic ketoacidosis, which means he had a blood sugars, which were probably over 500, 600, which normal is like under 100. And they said it had probably been going on for nine months. Wow. And Were there any complaints, headaches? Literally the day before was the first time we went to pick him up at daycare and the teacher had written a note. She had left earlier and the assistant was there and the letter said, Reed wasn't his normal self today. He seemed, uh, you know, quieter than usual. Uh, wow. So it was just by chance we had that well It's check. It's scary to think that something can just trigger on off, at least the news of it, right? And that, to go back to your original question, is what my husband and I just looked at each other. We're, you know, it's 2 a.m. We're in the ICU with laptops trying to tell work, we're not coming in tomorrow. <laughs> and we don't have it in our family. And somebody very smart that I admire here in Austin is a man named Gary Farmer. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, talked about, we were talking about Ronald McDonald House, but I, what he was sharing really felt personal to me is he said, we have aspirations for our kids. I agree. And at that time, I was a young mom, five and three-year-old kids. I had big dreams when they came <laughs> into, our, into our lives. And you're sitting there, well, I was sitting there with my husband in the ICU thinking, what about those aspirations? How did this happen to us? It's not in our family. Will, our, will those dreams I had be taken away from us? And it was so, so scary. Seems like you also had a crash, like a reality crash at the same time. And I mean, it's a loss. You, you had to grieve the loss of having, quote, a normal child and your life just pivoted in a different direction that you were expecting. Absolutely. And I don't even think I gave myself a chance to grieve till later, much, even much later. I assume you were in fight mode, giving it all, right? Absolutely. It was a moment of who do we even call first? How do we, how do we get help for this? Is one of us going to quit a job? What does this mean? And there were so many questions going through our mind. It felt very, very scary. And is your son okay right now? He is. So now he's 17. Wow. It's been such a journey for us. And You and I have talked a little bit about uh, serendipity or things yes. that happen when you least expect it, like how you and I have come to know yes. each other. So to all our guests listening, believe it or not, Caroline was listening to my podcast and then she shared with me 
what she did for her, like philanthropy. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, you need to be interviewed because this was totally meant to happen. And I'm so honored to have you coming here very vulnerable because I know it might be nerve wracking and talking about very personal things. And we've only met once. So I, I honor that and I will take care of that and we'll make your son be proud of your testimony and all your family. But I want you to go to your darkest moments when you were at the hospital. What happened? The serendipity was I realized a former employee had left the job with me to go work at the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. From the music program? From even my job before that, where I was wow. helping kids get on CHIP and Children's Medicaid. So literally, I called my mom, my husband called his mom, and then I called my former employee. What do I do? And she gave me a pep talk about how many, many families have a similar situation to us, that we would get through this. Um, she delivered a care package to us in the hospital that included a book uh, that is all about you, fir you first got this diagnosis, now what kind of book. Wow. Um, and our families both at that time, even though my husband's from Austin, his dad's a professor, so they had moved away. He had moved from UT to a different university. And so we had nobody here and we had to rely on our friends and neighbors and the diabetes educator. That's one of the jobs in the hospital is somebody comes in and, and sits with you and they don't let you leave the hospital for days until they feel like you've got the training you need. And it must be such an avalanche of information, a lot of overwhelmed moments. So basically you're going through that. And what keeps me like it makes me happy to know that no matter if you know them or not, the village is already around you. You know, when a heart is at service, there's always people willing to let a hand. And it's exactly what you need at that moment. And you're like, this is kind of magic. Like, for example, when I moved uh, to the U.S., it was in a very tense situation. Uh, from one day to the other, we had to move due to safety concerns. And my neighbor, she told me, honey, I got you. This is where you're going to go to school. This is a pediatrician. This is, you know, she laid out the plan. And Kim Rose now is at Ronald McDonald as well. And I'm like, how can this be? I mean, this is perfection. And I think that that's God's way. You know, that's how God will surround you with those people. And we just need to learn to, to speak up and ask for help. Absolutely. We had, so we were in the hospital for about a week and um, we would go back and forth to, to see our daughter, uh, but she was with friends. And when we got home, our neighbor had mowed our lawn. And it was just one of those things like, wow. we didn't ask, we weren't expecting. Uh, and now many, many years later, when I, like I've reflected to him and I'll always say to him, I don't know if you realize this, but That day when I came home and the lawn was mowed, it just, I started crying because of your kindness and thoughtfulness. And he doesn't even remember that he did it. I know exactly how you feel. When I was writing the book, I saw the consistency in my parents showing up, my sisters showing up, my brother. And I had to tell them, I thought I was so lonely at the time. But I, now I realized I was never lonely. I was surrounded by my friends, but by my family, and I was just sad. But it, that didn't mean they were not there. And they were like, are you kidding? Of course we would be there. But there's always these beautiful people that surround you, and everyone will just give like their gift to you, right? And as simple as mowing the lawn for him, for you was like you took off 15 days of worrying Yes, absolutely. And I think, I know we're going to talk more about Ronald McDonald House in a minute, but that experience with my son and knowing what it meant to have our lives lifted up by small gestures that people did on behalf of us, taking care of my daughter, taking care of our pets, mowing our lawn. I feel that at Ronald McDonald House and with the care kits that you're now uh, contributing to our families, These are ways that we can take the pressure off of families going through really hard times. I agree. So I would like giving some context and an, an, an example of how Ronald McDonald House works. First of all, 
which I thought the story was fascinating. Can you tell me how it started with a man in Philadelphia? I was just so fascinated by that story and his impact. Of course. So um, the year was 1974, and there was a player for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the football team. His name is Fred Hill. And uh, his daughter, Kim, was diagnosed with leukemia. So he and his wife spent her entire treatment in the hospital, like I did with Reed, didn't want to leave. And uh, they were uncomfortable because at that time, uh, it was just waiting room chairs, not any kind of futons or cots or anything like that. So when she went into remission, he came back and said to the GM of the Eagles, I don't want any family to have to go through what we went through. What can we do? And he said, well, let's go talk to my friend who's a local franchisee for the McDonald's here in Philadelphia. And that year, they were introducing a product called the Shamrock Shake, which is a green milkshake. And the Philadelphia Eagles wear green and white for their mm -hmm. uniforms. And so the uh, McDonald's owner operator said, well, if you'll put your, your players in my TV spots, but don't charge me any money for that. I will give you a percentage of every shake sold. And at the time, I think they raised $100,000, which back in 1974 a lot. was enough to yes. buy a home. And they literally bought a house that was located right by Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And, and then, what, what does it provide? So that was the original one. And now fast forward, we have almost 400 Ronald McDonald houses across the world. And we're all independent of one another. So in general, what you'll find at any Ronald McDonald house is we, we provide comfortable bedrooms, meals, supports. For the caregiver, correct? For both the caregiver as well as the siblings and even the sick child if that child's getting outpatient treatment. Oh, wow. So um, it just depends what the kiddo is going through, but they have to be either in the hospital or getting outpatient treatment. And to qualify, you need to go through a hospital process or directly to the Ronald McDonald House? So we work directly with the case managers and social workers in the hospital. So the family presents to that person at the hospital. Usually they'll know the case manager or social worker. They'll say, gosh, you live, you're not, you don't live close to here. Can we help you get situated at the Ronald McDonald house? And then we get a referral. So in general, for our house program, the family lives 25 miles or more away. Um, and they have a child that's either inpatient or outpatient, but getting treatment. And there are no income guidelines. And uh, one of the things that we know is when you're going through a health crisis, that's kind of the great equalizer. As a Totally. Um, in the, my book, I put, I became a beggar with a sack full of money. You know, it's like health, it's priceless. Uh, everything disappears if your health is not okay. So do you need to tell them it's for a limited time? Do you work um, around a budget? Do you feed them for free? How does that look? So um, families are staying with us as long as they need. Um, so what that looks like is... We check in weekly with the social workers to check on that child's prognosis. And over the years, our occupancy or length of stay has changed. So uh, just a few years ago in 2018, it was nine nights on average that folks were staying with us. But and how many rooms do you have? We have 30 rooms wow. at, the at the Ronald McDonald House in Austin. Um, we also have a family room program, which is a mini Ronald McDonald House inside some of our local hospitals. Like which ones? So here in Austin, we have family rooms at Dell Children's Medical Center has two bedrooms. St. David's Women's Center of Texas has four bedrooms. Seton, Maine has four bedrooms, and then St. David's, Maine has three bedrooms. And then we also are in two hospitals in Bryan College Station. They each have two bedrooms, and those are CHI St. Joseph hospitals. I love it that you're actually in all the networks. It's You're not exclusive to one hospital. I think that's amazing. And I heard you have future plans to expand. Tell me more about that. And to all listeners, please have open heart and generosity. If you ever think you need to give to a beautiful cause, I have witnessed the severe need of being very ill and worrying about my mother not having food, not uh, taking a shower because she didn't want to leave my side. But I think that if she had known that, you know, next door there was an option for her to be away for 15 minutes, I think that's amazing. And For all the Mexicans listeners out there, 
I think we should definitely start this and branch out through the Ronald McDonald. I would really, really love that. But I want to be very accurate and sure that we understand that it is not necessarily affiliated to the McDonald's restaurant. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So we are an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization. And um, because of the origination story, I don't know if I said that right, our origin story, Mm -hmm. um, we are connected to McDonald's through the branding and using the name. I guess it's a nod towards the the how things started and without that it wouldn't have happened exactly and um from our conversations before you mentioned that actually mcdonald's in austin the the franchisee is very involved is that right correct so um one of the things some people wonder about is they give money through the coin boxes at the mcdonald's or they round their order up and they'll say to me where does that money go? And uh, it stays here. So here in Austin and Bryan College Station, we have about 77 restaurants. They're all locally owned and operated. There's about 16 families. That's their business. And so they give of their own business money philanthropically. We just had our gala last week and they were incredibly generous and participated. And then the customer money stays here locally. And that's true no matter where you go, if you're at a McDonald's in another part of the country, that money stays locally to that Ronald McDonald house. So all McDonald's do have that box. Correct. Yes. I yes. think that's amazing. And just to think out of the box, how we can all do it this through the restaurant consumer side on just like pennies, dollars, whatever helps in this amazing cost. And I think it's fascinating. Tell me more on the, like, do you check immigrant status? Do you check? uh, Do you have background checks? Or are you totally relying on the healthcare providers report? So we are a communal living environment. And so we we do not check immigration status. That that is not a factor. Um, There is a background check, um, just because we have to make sure in a communal living environment that we keep it safe for all the other guests. Um, Tell me more about communal living. That way we're clear on how how does a day look like? Oh, yeah. And I'd love to tell you a pre-COVID day, if that's okay, because that's how I I I like to remember how. And and we just had that with a different interviewer from the Texas Book Festival. She says, I'm having a hard time because we've done great things without COVID. And now COVID, I feel a little bit limited. So we we actually walked through like a regular year and then this unfortunate situation. So um, each of our guest families gets a suite. We have, they're about 500 square feet. I has say to some people, it's bigger than a New York City apartment for totally. some people. And I visited them and they're just beautiful. And I, I love that you're giving dignity to them. They're living in a very comfortable environment and soothing. And that's really to our community's credit in that our rooms are adopted by community members who help with the decor and the decoration in each room. And then year after year, they are part of making sure things get kept up in those spaces. So uh, as much as I'd like to take credit for that, it's really the community. But in terms of our communal living situation, Our meals um, are provided by volunteers. So volunteers sign up, they make a menu plan, they buy the groceries, and then we have a beautiful kitchen where they come with their family or their friends or their church group or their Girl Scout troop, and they come and cook, and they serve our guest families. And so we have a communal dining room, and that's really, Lorena, where the magic happens at the Ronald McDonald House, because say it was you and I. And you had a premature baby and I was in a motor motor vehicle accident and my child was injured. It's not the same situation, but we are both in a crisis. And so we have seen time and time again, friendships form, the support that our families give one another, the friendships that last long after they've stayed at the Ronald McDonald house. I like to tell people, even if you had the means to stay at the Nicest hotel in Austin. I hope you're going to choose the Ronald McDonald House because I know what you're going to get there is that support. And so a family, let's say the mother can go and check on on the kid that is at the hospital. But what if they have siblings? What does that look like? Thank you. Yeah. So the siblings are welcome. We have lots of play spaces, pool table video games, uh, 
toys for the toddlers and littles. And um, we welcome up to six family members per guest suite. So that's very um, generous. While we don't have a childcare situation, we do allow other family members to come and 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 help with the other kiddos. And during non uh, flu season, uh, COVID season, siblings are allowed in the hospital. But right now, of course, that's not allowed. Yes, and uh, is it? Does it run from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or what does the schedule look like? So we're a 24-7 facility wow. and um, seven days a week. And so we're, um, you know, we, we are in the same ecosystem as a hospital, except that we are like a home away from home. This um, is fascinating. And just the proximity of it, I think that is priceless. Just knowing that you can go take a shower and if needed, you're there in 10 minutes back with your kid. I mean, that is priceless. So thank you for for that. Hola, hola. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having the time to read my book on the way to Casa Lotus. But especially thank you for having the time to listen, to listen with an open heart and open ears. I don't take this for granted. Every second you give me is a gift for me. I get better and better, and I work the muscle of forgiveness. I work actually all the muscles of gratitude, even of sadness. I'm willing to sit with emotions and project myself through you and my interviewing friend, where I can really say, how can I apply this to my life and how can I be a better person? I hope my story is helping you. Is it? I would love listening to your story. Reach out. It's easy. Info at lorenajuncomargain.com. Tell me your story. We're a click away. That's part of the silver linings COVID has brought. So stay with me. Tell me what you think about this amazing episode. Un beso. Thank you. Talking about a serendipity moment while we were preparing for the podcast, Casey, our producer, he said, I've benefited from that um, amazing organization. I'm like, how so? So I would like inv uh, inviting Casey to share his story. And I think this will prompt a deeper conversation on how not only it impacted your life, it impacted Casey's. And this has been like my lifestyle of love moment, you know, where I noticed that a caregiver is um, a lot of times unseen and how we're trying to lift them up because if they are sleep deprived, if they're not fed, you know, they will not be uh, giving their best. So Casey, welcome in and I would love listening to your story. Most people don't see the behind the scenes of the podcast. And I'm really thankful that you're with us because of what you do and who you are, but you're also a podcast listener. You listen to our podcast every week. And we're thankful for that. And so when we did our pre-call, which I do with every guest, I heard your story and it immediately brought back this uh, part of my family's history. When my wife was born, she was born in the middle of a hurricane and lots of things went wrong. And she, I don't want to get into the medical details because I don't know what exactly caused it all, but she had some traumatic things and had to be airlifted from a rural area to Chapel Hill to the big hospitals there. And I think how frightening it must have been for mom and dad having to drive three hours while their new baby is in a helicopter being sent to a city so far away. And when they arrived, they, of course, gave her the attention she needed. But at some point, it dawned on them, we're in the middle of a hurricane and we need somewhere to go because we're going to be here for a while. And so Ronald, the Ronald McDonald House was there for them. And I just thought that was such a eye-opening experience for me. Because one of my misconceptions was that the Ronald McDonald House was primarily for people who couldn't afford a place. And it's not always that. So maybe you can give us like some of the misconceptions of the Ronald McDonald House. What are things that people get confused about? And um, what would you want to clear up for the average person? Is it for people who are struggling financially only? Is it for people who are um, going through certain types of medical situations? What do you hear that's confused sometimes by people? That's a great question. And there are some misconceptions out there. Uh, we are open to anybody who is going through a pediatric medical crisis. So for us, a pediatric situation is zero to 21. 
So even think about a college student who may be far from home uh, going to university and have an accident or an injury and their parents have to fly in. We're going to be there for that family as well. I think that uh, one of the other questions I get a lot is, aren't you only for kids who are being diagnosed with cancer? And so that is not the case. It's it's really community by community dependent. And so uh, for us here in Central Texas, our top four diagnoses are premature birth, cancer is one of them, cardiac, and neurology. Those are the four top reasons why our families stay with us. But Sometimes our families stay with us for something that is more um, unique, like they're here for an eating disorder clinic or an autism center that's close by. And then I think the last myth that we kind of talked about before is that we're 100% funded by McDonald's. And so I always like to tell the community that, that that is not the case. We are community funded. And for us here in Central Texas, we talked about the owner operators giving of their own funds as well as their customers. And that adds up for us to about 9% of our budget every year. But we still have to raise, you know, 91% from the community. And that's one of the things I love about Central Texas is our community is a very giving place. And people take pride in taking care of neighbors here. So grateful for our community for sustaining us. Yeah, and it's it's very easy for me, for our family to give because we've personally come in contact with it. And we know how important that moment was. To not have to think about where we're going to sleep tonight because there's already so much other stuff is huge. So are there volunteer opportunities, which we've never as a family thought about, like how could we go and actually be a part of it, which would be neat. We would love to have you come. Yes, please. So uh, just like most nonprofits, we are in need of time, talent, and treasure, right? All three. And our volunteer opportunities uh, are available. They are things like cooking meals for our family. So like I said, that's a 100% volunteer effort um, to feed our families. Uh, folks get to buy the food and come and cook and interact with our families. Uh, we also have um, in our family rooms inside the hospitals uh, opportunities for people to be kind of serve as a host of those rooms so that when families come in, you orient them to the space. And um, right now with COVID, we also have remote volunteer opportunities. So if folks want to do things at home, like make blankets, tie blankets. That's uh, something my daughter did for a service project. There's lots of different ways. Uh, send jokes. So every day we put a joke of the day uh, up in the house. Um, we have to take temperatures now because of COVID. And so right next to where we have our daily temperature checks, we put a joke um, just to bring some levity and lightness during what is often our family's darkest days. So um, there's lots of ways to get involved. And of course, for listeners, no matter where you are, I'm, I'm so proud to be able to say this, no matter where you are, there is likely a Ronald McDonald House and there are likely volunteer opportunities waiting for you to take part in. And I would just, you know, Google Ronald McDonald House Charities near me and uh, your and local are, RMHC. Are they good would... with, we're always looking, and Lorena does this too. How do we get our kids involved with this? Is, are those good kid opportunities? For sure. So right now it's vaccinated, sure, so sure. it would have to be 12 and up. Um, but in general, when we're past this and prior to COVID, it is a great family activity. In fact, there's a local, we partner with a lot of other local nonprofits. There's one called Generation Serve, which is family volunteering. And I, I've learned so much from them. They come with littles and, and cook. And I never really wanted my kids in the kitchen because I was so nervous about knives. And I learned there's this thing you can get and it chops and you just put the onion underneath it. And it, it it's like a, a blender on a mm -hmm. stick. And so, yes, kids can volunteer. Um, kids can come and do performances. So we've had, uh, you know, That's guitar fun. ensembles and singing groups and things to entertain our families uh, to get their minds off of everything else. That's very fun. And of course, in COVID, probably the best thing to do is maybe come to the website and reach out to know what the guidelines are right now. And Correct. Yeah, everything is up there. And then our staff would be more than happy to interact either through phone or email and, and answer any questions. But I think that's something that um, we have not closed our doors during COVID. And in fact, we have a wait list right now for services. And so 
without volunteers, um, we'd be lost. And so um, for people who are uh, vaccinated and able to get out, we would love to have you in the building helping us. And if if you can't get out of your home right now for whatever reason, we have lots of ways, wish list items. We have lists of things that um, people can collect for us, like paper towels um, and other uh, household items that we need. And we go through very quickly, individually wrapped snacks. Um, you know, I like to say to people, if you're going to go to a, a big box store and you're already buying for your family, could you buy one extra box of you know, fruit snacks or whatever it is, granola bars, and drop it off at the house. Even just one box is meaningful for our families. It's very interesting to me because Lorena, a lot of Lorena's story is about caring for the caregivers, and that's what you're doing. So the connection there is so tight and perfect match. I've always had this need of giving back. I am forever grateful to all my caregivers, and I just wanted them to shine knowing that I'm forever grateful. So it started with my book being a testimony of forgiveness, but I wanted that message to be spread. And I reached out to my 25 closest friends and I told them they were like my sisters. And if they could help me, give me a list of five people that they would like to send a pay it forward box. So that box includes a book, a bracelet that says on my way or a, um, a hat. So that on itself started a movement and it just started moving and moving. And when we were uh, ready to donate the caregiving kits, which is per every box that you buy, paid forward box, someone will benefit from the, the caregiving kit. And the caregiving kit has, um, the hospitals gave us a, uh, the most used items that they request. So it's a blanket, lip balm eye mask, a crossword puzzle, a journal, pen. And I wanted it to feel not only material, but nourishing. So we put a little card where it says, you know, I send you a hug in the form of a blanket. I said a balm to soothe your senses. So we tied this beautiful and we put it in English and Spanish because I also know that many people are not necessarily bilingual. and these boxes were first to be handed out only at hospitals. And the way it ended with them going through the Ronald McDonald house, it's just like that was their vocation. It was to go through you. And when I saw the cart having those boxes and you like pushing that cart and having people come and select their bag and um, the beautiful notes you gave me in appreciation, just that just makes my heart very happy. So I would like if you could tell our listeners the impact that has so that way they can please buy more boxes so we can keep giving, giving, giving. That is a personal initiative. That is a, that cost is on me. But in order for me to keep doing that, I need the support. So if you could tell us how this has impacted your Ronald McDonald house that you run and different stories, if you could share. For sure. And I'm just so grateful for any listener out there who has already bought a box. And if you haven't, please, I encourage you to do so. Um, the book is fantastic. I finished it this week. And the goodies in there, you will be making a huge impact on the families at Ronald McDonald House and in hospitals, um, but you will be nourished by what comes to you in the in the box. But I want to tell you about Kim. Kim is a mom of a 17-year-old boy who was born with a medical condition. So she, her husband, and their son have been in and out of hospitals his whole life. They've stayed at many, many a Ronald McDonald House. And um, over the last, gosh, 10 years she's been volunteering with us mm -hmm. at our chapter. Um, when her son's in school, she comes and volunteers with us. And most recently, she's been pushing our Happy Wheels cart, which is a hospitality cart that we push through the hospital. So it's it's touching families that may not ever stay the night with us. So it might be families that are staying bedside with their child or in a, in a waiting room waiting for a child to get out of surgery. And when I showed her the care kit, she looked at me and said, this is exactly what families need. This is amazing. And she was able to put 10 bags on the cart her first time because we have to take everything from the Ronald McDonald House over to the hospital Correct. and load it on the cart. 
And she said the bags, and there are also other things on the cart, but she said that day when people realized what were in those bags, they were the first ones to go. And then she had a couple people who she couldn't even give to because they were number 11 or 12. And so she came back and got more bags and walked them back over to make sure that those families got what they needed. And I love that you put so much intention into what went in the bags. I mean, you and I didn't know each other, but if you had asked me for a list, I would have picked that exact same list knowing what our families need because hospitals have to be very cold. They turn the air conditioning down very low because that prevents germs from Mm -hmm. spreading. So it's freezing. You always need a blanket um, and therefore your lips get chapped and you need chapstick. And there's so many questions swirling through your brain. The doctor leaves the room and of course you're like, oh, what was that other question I want to write? So you want to write it down in the journal so when the doctor comes, you're ready with those questions. And then the lights flicking on and off. Um, me being sick, that was a big thing. Like you can, you know, check my temperature. You can do whatever you want, but I just needed to rest. And um, so that was also a huge a difference for me. So while I was touring the Ronald McDonald house, I noticed you had a laundry area. It's like a way of giving them independence. Is that right? Like you're not catering to them. So tell me more about that. Like where is that fine line where like you're not a hotel, they're not paying, but they're receiving. So how do you manage that line of uh, giving and taking and Tell me more about limits, say like boundaries. Yeah. So, I mean, we like to say it's a home away from home. And when you're home, you have to do laundry. You have to clean your own space. And so while, yes, our guest bedrooms are their bedrooms while they're with us, we don't have a daily uh, housekeeping or porter service going in to clean the spaces. So our families participate and then we provide comforts as well. It's kind of a fine balance between independence as well as taking a burden off of family. So yes, we provide the home-cooked meals by volunteers. The families don't have to cook their own food or buy their own groceries. So um, we try to take that financial burden away. And what our families tell us is they appreciate that independence. So an example is the mom who gave birth prematurely Um, She explained to me that her baby was born so prematurely that the doctors and nurses wouldn't really let her hold that baby right at first. They were kind of the ones doing all the caregiving. And so when she was back at the Ronald McDonald house to go to bed, she was able to wash the onesies and have that smell of the laundry detergent and the dryer sheets and the fresh clothes because she was trying to connect as a new mom. And yeah, your care bags too play into that in that it's wrapping a hug around our families. Yes. And another thing I noticed when I was at the hospital is the amount of tote bags that are needed, right? Because you're like, please bring me some socks or please bring me this and that. And uh, a tote is always needed in, with a caregiver, right? And um, one more question, do they, can they bring outside food or is it like strictly controlled to what the food you provide? Not at all. So um, just to piggyback on the tote bags, 100%, if you ask our families, how long are you away from the Ronald McDonald house? They're usually gone, sometimes from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So they may miss the seated meal, but they'll come and cook, uh, heat up the food afterwards. But when you're away from your home, your home away from home, and you're in the hospital for hours, that tote bag You can bring all the snacks you need and all the things you need to have 12 hours away. The tote bag is awesome. And in our kitchen, there are opportunities. We have people who come from other countries Mm -hmm. and they have food preferences or or it might be somebody with an allergy. And so families are absolutely able to cook with us if that's their preference. And in fact, during our snow week back in February. What a year. It um, it was a really interesting time. We had one staff member who packed a bag and stayed the night in the Ronald McDonald house the whole week. We had another staff member that lived locally in the neighborhood where the Ronald McDonald house is located. So she came up during the day to support uh, our coworker who was there sleeping the night. But our meal providers couldn't get to us unless you had four-wheel drive or your power wasn't turned off. It was very, very difficult. And so we had frozen food uh, that people had donated earlier. 
and guest families were working together to make the meals for each other. I love it. And another thing I noticed, and to all our listeners, please know that your talent is already a gift. So give, let me give you an example. When I was doing the laundry tour, I noticed um, I love the scent. And then you told me this amazing story of a, of a guy that he has a detergent and he's like, I cannot give you money, but I can give you my product. So there is nothing that they would say no to unless it's what, I guess? Used. We can't take used items because mm -hmm. of germs and um, making sure that we don't. Our families are immunocompromised usually, and so we are very careful. But any new items, um, any household items, and we have a wish list, and most Ronald McDonald houses do have a wish list on their website. We need all kinds of items. If you think about running a household, just like your own household, that's what we need. What about um, like dish soap, soap and all that? Yep. Dish soap, uh, Kleenex or Mm -hmm. tissues, I mm -hmm. should say. <laughs> doesn't matter what the brand is. Toilet paper. Yes. What else are your most needed? Our families, uh, you know, I would say blankets, but now you're supplying blankets yeah. for us. <laughs> so that is less of a need that we have right now. But really any kind of household items, the individually wrapped snacks are a huge snacks. thing. Again, your care bag has a lot of our type items, the puzzle books. Wonderful. So everyone, please help me support this amazing mission If you go to lorenajuncomorgain.com, for every box that you purchase, I will be uh, donating one bag. Right now we have 200 bags donated to the Ronald McDonald House, but we can make it thousands. So I would really appreciate your support. This is not about helping me. This is about using me as a vehicle to help others. So I really, really appreciate it. lorenajuncomorgain.com, and it's the Pay It Forward box. Plus, I hope you find the beautiful message in my book, and I hope you like it. Thank you, Carolyn. I just want to go back from your executive position back to you. How do you draw a line when you're like from the Ronald McDonald house back to, how, to the home? How do you draw a line from the emotions and the hardships that you see constantly and consistently? And then do you, is, does, does it make you a more appreciative person? Does it make you more attuned to your needs? Or how has being uh, in charge of a, such a beautiful foundation make you be a better parent, a better wife? Can you tell me a little bit more about your side? I think that's I'm a work in progress in relation to the things that you just mentioned. So I am a pretty high achieving person. I always have been. There's something in our business we call compassion fatigue. And it's when the idea being, if you're always helping others uh, and putting others before yourself, that you can fatigue yourself. It's a lesson I've had to learn the hard way. <laughs> I um, definitely um, went through my own health struggles at a point in my life when I was working in that startup nonprofit environment. And I myself started feeling fatigued, like literally fatigued and sick. And it took us about a year to uncover my own health issues. And the doctor said stress, uh, pregnancy, because I was pregnant, and different things probably played into my thyroid not going the way it needed to, as well as my gluten intolerance probably got triggered at that time. So basically, uh, I think it's very important for all you beautiful givers out there, give yourself priority. First, put on the oxygen mask to help others. Is that right? That's right. And it, it took that lesson for me to realize, gosh, it's not about, in my mind, people say work-life balance. Like that's a term that I heard growing up. But for me, it's work-life integration. So I am passionate about working and I want to work and do what I do as an executive for a nonprofit And my life is really important to me. And my totally. family is very important to me. So um, if I end up working late one night because we have a fundraiser or an event, I'm going to flex my time the following week to decompress with my family and give back to their what, what time I didn't spend with them the week and before. And to you, right? You also need time to take care of yourself. So thank you for sharing. Part of my mission is bringing the human side of all these amazing roles we have 
Uh, we've had an interview with my surgeon that saved my life. And, and she talked about, I also have a book club and I also worry about, I need to read the chapter and I haven't read it. You know, it's just bringing down these amazing human beings, but to a level that us normal people that are driving all day, we can have the say like, hey, I am actually not doing things wrong by having a massage, taking some space to do a meditation, to remember to breathe and night out with your husband, right? It's so important to have that balance because if you lose it, we won't have you at the Ronald McDonald and that would really be super sad. Yeah, self-care is something, and I think a word that I've learned recently, or not recently, but along my journey, has been grace and giving myself grace. Because I think prior, I used to be very hard on myself, and that idea of, of grace is something that I try to remember. That's such a powerful word. Thank you. I needed that word today. Thank you so much. It's been an amazing pleasure um, you can count on us supporting Ronald McDonald House forever and ever. Uh, everyone, listeners, it's on you and me to get this accomplished. I really appreciate your time to listen, to listen what it takes to have caregivers doing it daily, CEOs of caregiving organizations being consistent and doing this daily. For example, Caroline, you've been doing this uh, 20 years, is that right? 20 years of consistency that is not easy to find so we need to also take care of you we need you to prioritize in your family and you can count on the whole community being supportive toward your organization thank you for your amazing time and your valuable knowledge and opening your heart thank you caroline thank you thanks for listening to on my way with lorena hunko magain We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHunkoMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olguin, audio and video editor Scott Caro. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas.